I'm Chris from Play Comics, a show where we look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material, a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other astonishingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Welcome to episode 232 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we help you spin off your podcast. In this week's Better Podcasting Download, we train with ninjas, podcasting ninjas. Well, no, not really. We're talking OBS ninja. And finally, in this week's Better Podback, we talk about how this year's Magic Humble Bundle is a little less humble. Lauren, start the show now. Neither of us are humble. Welcome to Better Podcasting. With a combined history of over a thousand episodes and starting as early as 2008, we are hobby podcasters through and through, just like you. That's why we are different. We minimize the money talk so that you can focus on building a better podcast. Here are the hosts for the show, Stephen John Drew and Stargate Pioneer. Welcome to episode 232 of Better Podcasting. I am Stephen Chandra, and I am pleased to say SP is here this week. Oh, thank goodness I'm here because, well, I'm sitting right here, so I'm glad I'm here, and we are loving talking about podcasting. We've been doing it for 231 episodes. This is our 232nd episode, and Stephen, you're giving me that look. You're giving me that, you know, you're wrong, SP look. I didn't realize we were talking about podcasting. <laughs> I came to the wrong show. <laughs> well, in that case, I guess I'll just go on with the show that we have prepared. Hey, look, and... our listenership's up. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Stephen. Okay, so uh, historically, what we've done is we have started the show with a How I Saved My Podcast story. And sometimes Stephen and I screw up, so we talk about it here on the show. But sometimes what we get is what we prefer is we have a listener that sends us a little bit of audio. We prefer video, but audio is great. And it is a story of how you save your podcast so we can all learn and get our podcast better. That's what the show is about, better podcasting. And we have one of those stories today. This is Dr. Melissa Seifert from the Dental Digest podcast. If you are looking for a way to save your podcast, it is undoubtedly listening to the Better Podcasting podcast. I am a dentist by trade, not a techie, not an audio engineer, and certainly I don't quite have all the podcasting experience SP over there has. However, through listening to a multitude of episodes from Better Podcasting, I learned how to dramatically improve the audio quality of my podcast. I want to thank SP for painstakingly going through my emails to help me troubleshoot sources of error for my audio. He recommended equipment, he helped me to better understand how to use it, and he gave me all sorts of feedback. You guys at Better Podcasting are awesome, and what you do makes a difference. So thank you. Thank you for everything that you guys have done. I noticed that uh, she specifically called out all of your assistants, and that's because you did do all the assistance. But I can't also help but wonder how much you paid her. So... I didn't pay her a cent. She didn't pay me a cent either, which is the wonderful thing here. She reached out to us at our email address, which is podcast at betterpodcasting.com. And she wanted to 
improve her audio. She was using a Blue Yeti. She was running into all the stereotypical problems that you run into with a Blue Yeti. And she's a dentist by trade. She does the Melissa does the Dental Digest podcast and not knowing much about audio. So I helped her and we got her on a better mic, the Sennheiser MD46. And I believe she did the Scarlett 2i2 interface. She actually wanted to do the Motu M2 interface, but there's none available. So she went with the Scarlett. Great choice. And her audio greatly improved. So I'm looking forward to listening to another episode. I haven't since she has put in the new audio equipment, but she is already really raving about the fact that all the reverb and the desk knocks and stuff like that that she used to get all the time are not there. So congratulations, Melissa. And that is a How I Save My Podcast story. If you don't know what you're doing, you reach out, you call a friend, you catch on to better podcasting, you listen to some episodes and you improve your show. That's what the show is all about. So thank you very much for sending that, Melissa. And thank you for saving your podcast and sharing that with everybody. You know, I was just thinking that maybe one episode you can uh, have some of your clients participate in it while they're having the dental work done. I know it would be really hard to hear what they're saying, but we're always having to have conversations with our dentists as the patient. So um, uh, I guess you could do the podcast. You know how hard that is to talk back to your dentist when you've got everything going on? It's so hard. So, So let's podcast through it too, right? Or your hygienist, basically. Yeah, yeah. No, she doesn't record with <laughs> patients, at least not that I've seen. It's other doctors, and it's talking about the artistry and the science and the practicalities of dentistry. So if you want to check that out, that is the Dental Digest. And, you know, Stephen, it's funny that you talked about that because I was just thinking about something we had mentioned years ago, which was me podcasting on a treadmill, right? We talked about that years ago. Do you remember that? I do. And I was hoping that you did not remember that. <laughs> <laughs> because you don't want to deal with it because Absolutely you know it's not. going to be an absolute failure. Yeah. yeah. But I, I was thinking about that. So I will podcast from the dental chair right after you podcast with me on the treadmill. Let's go on to our featured segment. <laughs> Once you start podcasting, You might think of a topic, theme, or idea that's closely aligned to your current podcast, but might be just different enough that you consider starting a spinoff podcast. For example, here with Better Podcasting, we recently created the Better Podcasting colon live chat podcast. It's a spinoff of this show. Creating a spinoff podcast sounds easy on paper, but it does face a variety of different considerations from a development perspective, legal perspective, and a whole bunch of other things in between. Now, let's talk a little bit about spinoffs themselves, and let's use a familiar medium here, the television show. There are a variety of spinoffs that have come over the years with television shows, and because SP is the older one here. I'll kick it over to him to give the first example because this is way before my time. The granddaddy that I remember of all television spinoffs was the show Happy Days. Now, Happy Days had several spinoffs. It, for a while, I think, had the most spinoffs. It could have been All in the Family. We'll get to that in a little bit. But the granddaddy of all these television shows with spinoffs is Happy Days. Now, Happy Days spun off Laverne and Shirley, Blansky's Beauties, Mork and Mindy, which 
had a spinoff itself called Mork and Mindy, the animated series. Out of the blue, the Fonz and the Happy Days gang and everybody's favorite, Joni Loves Chachi. That was back in the 70s and the 80s. And they just could, instead of doing a reboot like people do now, they actually made new content given the characters that they already had, which was great. But spinoffs are not just a thing of the past. For example, my daughter, her favorite series is the popular show, The Bachelor. Now, The Bachelor has several spinoff series, The Bachelorette, Bachelor Pad, Bachelor in Paradise, and new this year, the greatest seasons of Bachelor Forever, or whatever they call it. And we've talked before about the CW superhero television series. I even had a podcast on one of them. Originally, it was just one show called Arrow, but that spun off to The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl, Batwoman, Black Lightning, and now Stargirl, and the list keeps on going until CW shuts it down. I don't know when that's going to be. Heck, it's worth noting right now that I started podcasting due to the 2003 series reboot of Battlestar Galactica. That series spun off Caprica, Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome, Battlestar Galactica Razor. And I'm going to throw one in for Steven here. This is for you, Steven. It's a little bit for me, but oh, it's definitely you. for you. Very kind. The geek central podcasting endeavors of Steven can be traced back to the fact that he became a geek as he was a diehard Trekkie his whole life. Steven, you want to run down all these series? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, the original Star Trek was Star Trek, the original series, and that spun off to a bunch of different TV and movies, but let's stick with TV here. There was Star Trek, the animated series. There was Star Trek, the next generation, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek, Voyager, Star Trek, Enterprise, Star Trek, Discovery, and this year, Star Trek, Picard. There's a whole bunch of different spinoffs of that one. So it's not different with podcasting. Sometimes you end up having more spinoffs of your original podcast. And there are many considerations to be had when you're creating this spinoff, both short-term and long-term. Today, we want to talk about these considerations. We both have some experience spinning off our podcasts into different other types of podcasts. And so we'll try to share some personal examples as we go through this today, like we like to do. But before we begin, we want to be clear with sort of what we'll be referring to as a spinoff podcast. For today's episode, with the context of what we'll be talking about, we think that a spinoff is something that is in some way related to an existing podcast. Often it's affiliated with the primary podcast, but not necessarily. And there'll be more to come on that in a bit. So let's start off by talking about some different types of spinoff podcasts. And I know that SP is all about the soft spinoff. No, that's not true. That's what we're going to talk about first. We're going to talk about a soft spinoff series. This is a spinoff podcast where you have an idea related to a podcast overall theme, but it is distinctly different. This is often a subseries within the main podcast feed. For example, when Steven did the comic book podcast that he did a few years ago, there were a few limited series that he did over the years in addition to the main show. For example, one of the hosts decided that he wanted to do an ongoing retro review of an old comic book series. Another host wanted to expand their news coverage to have a midweek news report in between the release of the weekly episodes. 
The overall arching theme of their podcast was comics, but the existing host decided to offer these as an ongoing spin series within the main feed in between their primary episodes. Now, one of the nice things that came with this was it was a way to help the host grow a little bit, too. So it wasn't having to send them off to do their own individual podcasts and work out all that technical stuff. It was within the same fold. And so they were able to go and create essentially a new podcast, but within the main feed of the primary podcast. It worked out pretty well, and we'll touch on that in a minute. The next type of spinoff that we'll talk about today is a spinoff of in-show content into its own individual podcast. These types of podcasts often form because an idea outgrows the confines of your podcast. For example, you may implement a new point of discussion into your podcast, but in order to have the discussion in a meaningful manner that does the material justice, it starts detracting from other areas of your podcast. Maybe it even makes it too long in your eyes. So to solve the issue, you could remove the idea from the original podcast and move it to its own podcast that focuses entirely on that specific idea. Another type of spinoff podcast is one that we'll call a branded spinoff. This is similar to the previous one, but distinctly different. This is often a type of spinoff that shares the same overall branding of your podcast, but has a distinctly different theme. For example, I used to do a now retired podcast, at least for now, called Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Longbox Edition. This was a spinoff to the primary podcast called Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. While it did carry the same name as Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., ultimately the spinoff, Longbox Edition, was about comic book reviews. However, the primary podcast focused on the Marvel Comics television movies that were based on the television movies. This, by the way, I just want to point out, is different than the comic book podcast that Stephen talked about. So we both independently did a comic book podcast. Good distinction. Yeah. The biggest difference between a branded spinoff show and the in-show content spinoff is simply the brand. In the intro, we gave several television examples. One of the examples we gave was Happy Days. Happy Days spinoff hits like Laverne and Shirley, Mark and Mindy, and Joni Love Chachi. These shows were ideas of their own that grew out of the original work. On the other hand, there was the show that my daughter loves called The Bachelor. All of the Bachelor spinoffs are branded as part of the Bachelor Nation. All these shows share the same brand. So that's the difference. The Happy Days spinoff had their own brand, but the Bachelor spinoffs were all part of Bachelor Nation. It was the Bachelor brand. Because these shows share the same brand, you'll see the same artwork or visual elements of the shows in each. You might even hear the same music. You'll probably will hear the same cast and the same host in the show. The topic will be very similar, and a difference might just be a slightly different tangential topic. We'll expand more on this in a little bit. And the last type of spinoff that we want to talk about today is one that follows a similar train of thought to what we're talking about today, but in some ways is arguably not technically a spinoff. This is where a new show is created due to an affiliation of people involved with a podcast, but is legally independent. Often, this comes because some of the hosts of one show have a shared passion about a topic and want to create a new podcast. Now, why do we call this a spinoff, even though it's an entirely new beast? Because as we've said, often listeners like you, like the host, if they see a new podcast that features a few of these voices that they like, they might give it a shot, even if it's a separate entity all on its own. 
On a slightly less uplifting note, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention this could actually be a similar concept to the primary podcast. If some of the hosts decide they're unhappy, want to leave the show, there are all sorts of legal considerations to be had with this, but we're not lawyers. We've always said that assuming there is nothing legal holding you back. Again, this would likely not technically be a spinoff, but to the audience, it's close enough that they might follow. I got an example for you on this, SP. Would you like to hear it? I would. So just to give you a little bit of perspective from continuing on the television theme, between 1982 and 1993, David Letterman hosted a late night talk show that aired after The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and this was called Late Night with David Letterman. The show did air on NBC like The Tonight Show was. However, when Johnny Carson decided it was time to pack up, NBC ultimately decided to give the gig to Jay Leno rather than Letterman, who had kind of been vying for the position for a while. There was some behind-the-scenes turmoil that came from this, and this led to David Letterman being unhappy with NBC. Well, CBS took advantage of that, and CBS decided that they would create a new show to go head-to-head with The Tonight Show, and that was the one that David Letterman did for many years called The Late Show with David Letterman. And this was a direct competition to The Tonight Show. Now, a large portion of the on-screen and the off-screen creative team came along, so there was a very similar feel, and as such, a lot of the audience also came along with him. So in some people's eyes, this was a continuation of the previous show that he did, which was technically its own separate entity. There's one more possibility that I just want to interject really quick, and it's not really a spinoff. It's more of a repackaging. It's when you take longer form content or shorter form content and you create it into the reverse. Like you take a longer show, like an hour show or two hour show, and you throw it into a five or 10 minute show, or you take that five or 10 minute concept and then you expand on it in a longer show, but they're two distinctly different shows and it might or might not seem like a spinoff. I just wanted to throw that in as a last throw. Good example. So what are some of the considerations that you might have when creating a spinoff podcast? Well, let's start with the first one. Do you have time for a full spinoff? And if so, in what capacity? We've made it no secret over the years. Podcast creation can be a very daunting endeavor, and it can be hard for you to balance your podcast and personal lifetime. This is important to do this in a manner that allows you to keep having fun while you podcast and make sure that your podcast endeavors are something you enjoy doing as a hobby podcaster. Now, SP, you've got your golden rule of hobby podcasting, which I think is do not have more than 3,000 podcasts going at one time. I think that's your golden rule, right? Well, I have 15 golden rules of hobby podcasting, oh, but one enough. of them. Sorry. Perhaps, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. But one of which you can find at on our 50th episode, which you can find at betterpodcasting.com slash 50. But one of the golden rules of hobby podcasting includes no more than two hobby podcasts. This is in oh. large majority because you have to have the time to do everything. You can't just churn out crap and expect your stuff to grow. Now, it might help you grow by having a second podcast, but you have to put the time and effort into it. And if you want to go beyond that, you need to network with a bunch of people. But if it's just you and your buddies, no more than two podcasts between you. So 
depending on what the answer is to the question that we asked, which is, do you have time for a full spinoff? And if so, in what capacity? This is going to help you determine what type of spinoff podcast you do. For example, creating an in-show spinoff takes less work and less prep than a full-fledged independent spinoff because it's all baked into your existing show. This is going to require less setup, but also less for you to maintain because all of these different things that you have to maintain for your podcast, if you do a full spinoff, you got to maintain all of them for that as well. But the second part to this question is also going to help you determine what type of spinoff you'll do. What capacity do you have the time? For example, you might have time to do a producer type role on a spinoff, but not necessarily do a full hosting role on the spinoff. This might help you determine what type of spinoff that you do. Now, for me personally, I've got a little bit of a self-imposed rule that I've made very clear to various people over the years that I've discussed uh, different podcast ideas with. It's that basically I'm currently maxed out with my capacity on doing a routine, regular run, co-hosted type podcast, because otherwise it's going to affect my family time if I have to commit to a routine with others on a, a regular basis to do another podcast. I just don't have the time to do this without drastically affecting my family. Therefore, any additional podcast that I might do would have to be limited run or like a solo endeavor. And this is just something where if I was to do a spinoff of this show and getting to the Better Podcasting Live Chat example, it had to be within the framework of the time that I was already being uh, allocated for this endeavor. And because we switched to bi-weekly for this show, it worked out because that time was now freed up. So that's just a personal example of how that spinoff wouldn't have happened for me in the current state that it is if we continue doing this main show on a weekly basis. And that takes us to the next consideration. How long do you want the spinoff idea to run? If this is a sustained ongoing idea, it might be best to create a full new spinoff podcast. Even though your audience likes you, you'll likely find that only a portion of your audience will come over to the new show and some that will come over might not continue. This means that with a spinoff podcast, you'll need to consider that there will be a lot of work to build up that audience all over again. If your content is time sensitive, that might mean your established audience doesn't come until it's too late. If it's a very limited run series, then it might be better to do an in-feed spinoff in your existing RSS feed. Of course, you have to consider the impact of this to your audience as you might lose some of your audience on your regular RSS feed that has no desire for this. So you got to be very careful about what you throw on your RSS feed. You're protecting your audience, but you are protecting your RSS feed in the process. We're not the biggest fan of this approach because it's forcing an idea into somebody's podcatcher that they didn't subscribe to. However, we think it's worth a mention because there are people who do this very successfully. It's worth noting that Steven's earlier examples largely received positive feedback. And that's with his comic book podcast and actually helped create some new listeners for the main show. But it's also worth noting that was many years ago and podcasting has changed a lot for listener expectations since then. People's podcasters are full. And if they receive something in there that they don't want to listen to, they might just delete your show and delete the subscription rather than to continue. Now, for our next point, I just want to start off by saying there's really 
two things that people say when they see us on the video side of things. They go, number one, you guys have a face for radio. They say that. They, they say that. Or I guess we can evolve that to face for podcasting. But the other thing they say is it is clear that you guys are not lawyers. That's the second thing that they say. And I think it's good that we remind people of that as we go into this next consideration, which is all about legal implications uh, and legal impact of doing a spinoff podcast. Again, we are not lawyers, but there is a couple things that we want to at least mention right now. For example, there may be legal implications of creating a spinoff. And let's start with one that has, I think, the most potential to be overlooked. And that's the question of, are you allowed to use any assets that you're currently using in your podcast with a spinoff podcast? For example, let's say that you do create a spinoff podcast and you decide that you want to use the same music or artwork that you were using for your main show. If you've purchased these items, you might want to take a look to see if the terms of that purchase allow you to use it on more than one project, because there are a lot of things where it's only licensed for one project, and you should see if that's allowed, or do you have to go and repurchase? That is a consideration that you're going to have. But another question that you might have is who owns the property for the spinoff? In the past, we've talked a lot about my paint drying podcast. There's Stephen's paint drying podcast. And let's say that I decided that I wanted to expand that, that I wanted to go and tap some extra talent. And I do what I, I do when I am in a place of need. And that's I tap SP to help me through because we I know that he'll set me on the right path. So SP decides he's going to come, come on and co-host Stephen's paint drying podcast. Well, after a while, he decides, you know what? I'm not so good at this whole paint drying thing. I'm better at watching stain dry. And so I want to go and create SP's stain drying podcast. Who owns that podcast? If it's something that is co-branded with Steven's paint drying media group, then it's probably Steven's, mine, or the entity of Steven's drying media group. We say it anyways, it's legally not SPs, but there might be a way that it could be set up that it is legally SPs. This literally happened to me, by the uh, way. The Legends of Shield podcast oh, that I, I thought do. you were talking about creating a stain drying podcast literally happened to you. Oh, okay. We'll talk about that <laughs> later. But before we talk about that, let's talk about the bigger example. The Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast that I do is technically a spinoff of a podcast called Legends Podcast. Nightwing, who created Legends Podcast, also created Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. It was actually the same crew that did both. And as we mentioned here before, I assumed ownership of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. about 13, 14 episodes in. When I created the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. long box edition, that was even another spinoff. So who owns the podcast? Who owns Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. and who owns Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Longbox Edition? In this case, I have documentation from the creator of Legends Podcast and Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Podcast stating that I own all the rights to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's true, by the way. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. updated its artwork and music along the way, so I didn't have to worry about the old artwork and music that Wing used on the show. So by extension... I now own Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Longbox Edition, which has some of the same music, theme, and artwork. However, this would all be a different story if the original owner, in this case Nightwing, did not give full ownership to me in writing. 
If the original owners retain some element ownership, such as the podcast media hosting, RSS feed, artwork, music, or even the domain name, then that would be a separate issue. So that's just a real world example. Back when I think I was talking to Steven at the time, back when Legends of Shield was assumed, I got it in writing that I would take ownership of it, that I would take ownership of the RSS feed and the domain and everything. So everything transferred over to me legally. You missed that size four font that I made him throw in there saying and Steven. Uh, I made sure that was in there. You want ownership of it? No, I don't. No. Okay. <laughs> By the way, fun fact, we'll get back to the stain drying podcast. I indeed went through and watched stain dry about a week ago. And it was right after we recorded better podcasting number 231. I'm not kidding. I actually watched stain dry. I literally had to do this. And it was at a last ditch effort to fix some Ikea furniture for my daughter and her first college apartment. And let me tell you, there were many lessons learned. So if you want to hear all about that, go find it on my stain drying podcast. And it has all the right ways to do it versus Steven's paint drying podcast, which I think we should just announce right now that there is a new better podcasting spinoff coming better podcasting stain chat. I think that's going to come soon, too. Stain. Yeah, <laughs> not paint stain. I see. I see we're going with me there. OK. Of course, these legal considerations get even more important if you are creating a product that is entirely new, especially if it's sort of spinning off of the same sort of content that the original podcast was. Now, let's go back to that David Letterman example that I mentioned earlier. We can see examples of this when he went through this process. When Letterman did move to The Late Show on CBS, he was able to continue some of these recurring ideas and segments that he had done on The Tonight Show, but he did have to rebrand them. This is because of the fact that there were a bunch of considerations that happened with the individual ideas, and there were some that he wasn't allowed to use. Now, an example of this is that he retained the house band, and the house band changed its name from being called the world's most dangerous band, I believe it was, over to the CBS Orchestra. The segment where he was doing viewer mail changed from uh, viewer mail to the CBS mailbag. And there was a variety of other things that followed suit as well. And again, some that he was not allowed to do. Now, there's actually a lot of really good examples on how this all went down. If you go down the rabbit hole on the internet of this transition between the two shows, there's lots of information on there. It was highly discussed. So there's lots of documentation on the internet. I know I've spent some time looking through it, but there were some considerations like whether or not um, an idea had been created before the run of the late night program that he had been hosting on NBC. And if it was, where did it come from? Was it an idea that was originally on NBC and that'd be NBC's property, or was it an idea that Letterman had created and brought to the show, and therefore it was his idea? So there was all sorts of considerations on there, as well as whether or not something was generic, but we're not lawyers. And there is somewhat of a famous podcasting case, and that's Jordan Harbinger with his Art of Charm podcast and the parent company above Art of Charm. And I won't get into the specifics, but there was an issue with him continuing to host a podcast as he was trying to sell off the company. And then he was kicked off the podcast and he was not legally able to use podcast elements going forward as he started another podcast. 
and he couldn't tell a story because it was all covered with an NDA and that sort of thing. This is all documented out there. Jordan Harbinger has commented publicly on it, but this is the very case. And this is a professional podcast, but this is the very case where we say we're not lawyers. If you run into these issues, you better get one. And the best thing to do is get a lawyer from the very beginning and make sure that you are legally sure of what you are doing and protecting yourself or your company or your podcast as you're going forward. SB, question for you. Quest. I've decided that I want to go and make a spinoff, but how do I really lock in the fact that it's a spinoff of my main show? If your podcast is a semi-related idea to the first one, but is primarily a new entity, you may have very few associations, and that's okay. Spinoffs don't have to always fly the flag of the main podcast in an obvious manner. Just to hammer this point home, let's continue with our TV examples. Frasier is an excellent example. Now, the TV show Frasier centers around a character, Kelsey Grammer, that originally was seen on Cheers. There were very few direct nods to Cheers over the years of Frasier, and objectively, the shows have extremely different types of comedy and flavor. And matter of fact, if you're watching the two, and if it wasn't for the fact that you knew the main character was the same, you'd be like, is this really in the same universe? At the time, NBC was trying to create an entire universe of sitcoms, so I'll leave that as a may. But there are people who didn't even realize Fraser was a spinoff of Cheers. Another example of this, and I have not watched any of these except for one, <laughs> but is the CBS crime drama brand NCIS. Although you might not realize it, NCIS is actually a spinoff of another series called JAG, which I have seen some episodes of. And it was really only within the last few years that they brought this tie into the plots on the show. So, yeah, all these crime dramas, yeah, they're, if it's within a network, it's all tied together. However, you may opt to make the spinoff more obvious through various ways. One way could be through the branding itself. Continuing the NCIS example, NCIS itself has created spinoffs. And those continue to use the NCIS brand, for example, NCIS New Orleans. Or to give a podcast example, we'll go with our very own show, Better Podcasting Live Chats. And if you're searching for it, I got to say it's Better Podcasting colon Live Chat. Yes, Stephen totally set up these examples in a manner where he could loosely associate Better Podcasting in the same vein and thought as his beloved. NCIS crime dramas. I'm not the one to watch it. Steven is. Totally did that. Now, another way that you might set this association is through creative means. For example, the music or the theme of your podcast, if you're using that. Perhaps you want to choose a theme that is similar to your original podcast, but distinctly different. This can be hard if you don't have an original piece, but it is possible for example, a lot of the music that is on Pond 5 do have various flavors by the creators, which can drastically affect the end product, but have a similar sound. Sometimes it could even be within the same track itself if you're only taking a portion of something that you've purchased. Here's an example. The, the music that we use on Better Podcasting, it is two minutes and 54 seconds long and has several sections in it that we could use that have the same feel, but might sound like their own independent thing. 
But there also was originally actually some different flavors on Pond 5. Yeah, we got it from Pond 5. Might as well say it. It's on a bunch of commercials uh, where you could actually have a similar sound, but a distinctly different track. Fun fact, SP may very well have this track loaded onto his iPod and his iPhone so that he can listen to it. And sometimes when he's having troubles fall asleep, he puts it on, he plays it. It sets him as e at ease as he listens to it and thinks of me. That's not true. I use it to pump myself up. Like if I'm going into work for a bad day or I'm headed home and just want to unwind or something like that. Yeah, it's it's a really exciting tune that we've got here. Anyway, one more direct way that you can create the association between the spinoff and the original is by specifically calling out each podcast on the other podcast. For example, on the primary podcast, calling out the spinoff or vice versa. You might even briefly snapshot a highlight from the other one and turn it into a routine promo to try to cross over the audiences. And if the ideas are different enough that you want the podcast to still be affiliated, but stand on its own, you might simply use other affiliation methods. For example, you could create a website that is for both of your podcasts. This way, if somebody comes to your website, they see all your affiliated podcasts together. This is a little bit different than a network, but could be considered a network of the same spinoff branded shows. Whatever you decide, if you decide that you want to have a clear affiliation between the two shows, you need to consider both sides of this. Initially, you'll likely find that people discover your new podcast from the first, but as time goes on, you may find that people find your second podcast. How do you help expose the first one to the audience of your second? That's a question that you'll have to answer. In summary, spinoff podcasts come in a variety of flavors. Sometimes they're obviously a spinoff. Others, they're almost their own beast. Spinoffs can be a lot of fun to do because they usually come from something that has been related to its source. This means that you've already got the passion and in some sense have a running start. It's important to be realistic, though, as you consider the spinoff and decide whether it'll have an impact on the first. In most cases, you want to make sure it doesn't negatively impact the first podcast. Some spinoffs will succeed, some will fail, and that's okay, as long as you're having fun because you're a hobby podcaster, and that's really what matters. Are you having fun here? So have you ever done a spinoff podcast? We want to know so we can talk about it on our Better Podcasting live chat show. This is the Better Podcasting Download. I see what you did there, SP, promoing the Better Podcasting live chat show. Oh, you're tricky. Especially since I was just reading what you put in the document. <laughs> All right. In today's Better Podcasting Download, we want to talk about something that we have been trying for a little bit. And those who did check out our last episode of Better Podcasting Live Chat may have heard our first unfiltered or, or you know, rough thoughts on this. And today we want to share this to this audience, the, the mass audience, and in a little bit more concise manner that summarizes a product that we've been trying out. And it's all to do around with a service that may lean itself more towards those listeners and viewers that do have a video show for their podcast, but there are some other potentials for people who don't do a video show. So just hold off and we'll get there in a little bit. Now, back in June 
June 5th specifically, we had our wonderful friend and listener and viewer of this show, Suncast, mention to us a certain product. In fact, he asked us a question, which was... Have any of you used OBS Ninja? Now, there was a few of us in this group where he did ask this question, and it immediately grew, uh, drew our attention because of the fact that it looked like something that we had been waiting for for a while, an alternative to Skype. Let's just go ahead and say that right now. <laughs> simply Or put, any other connection. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, simply put, OBS Ninja is a way that people can do video calls with each other, but geared towards the more technically enabled people. This is because OBS Ninja allows someone to grab independent video feeds of each participant. This means that a feed is generated for each person in that call and can be pulled into a video switching program such as OBS, XSplit, etc., vMix, etc. For example, we are using OBS Ninja right now to record this show and there is a feed created for each of us that I can then, as the one that is producing this using XSplit, I can take each of those feeds and place it into the XSplit program and just switch between those so that I actually am pulling a feed directly from SP. See, I told you it's for the more technically enabled, but we'll get there. Just wait, wait, we will get there in a minute. Now, before we get into some of these details, let's get to the bottom line up front. SP, we've been using this since June 5th, right? Yeah, we've used OBS Ninja as the connection method for both the official Gunna Geek show with as many as four participants now and for better podcasting and better podcasting live chats. The connection has been the most stable and reliable platform that we've ever tried since starting video companions to our podcast years ago. Hands down, this has been the most best way to podcast video wise. It has also been the most customizable. But before we get into an overview of the project, we want to highlight a few important notes. First, OBS Ninja is a pet project or a beta of a fellow named Steven. And that is not Steven Jondrew. It's actually his name is Steve. Apparently, he created it a while ago, but decided to do an overhaul recently, pretty much at the end of the pandemic, actually. As such, it's important to note that it's not a commercial product. And at the moment, it doesn't seem there is the intention to do so. It's also important to note that it should be looked at as a connection method, not a delivery service, not a streaming service. What we mean by this is that something like StreamYard, Hangouts on Air, RIP, Blab, RIP, etc., where the service provides a final product to be streamed to people. The intention of this is that you use additional software to take these sources and broadcast or record them using other tools, like Steven said before, like OBS, XSplit, Wirecast, vMix, etc. This is a personal pet project. And this is not a spinoff, ahaha, for our first segment there, of OBS itself. Steve actually created the OBS Ninja with the intention for people to using OBS itself to use it, which is why it has the similar name, but it is usable with any type of software that can pull individual video needs. So Steven, what are our general first thoughts about OBS Ninja? Well, 
it's really a fantastic solution for anyone who is looking to get a little bit more creative with how they're using individual video feeds for the participants. In addition to creating a group call like what we're doing, where we've gone and we created a video call, I'm using that term loosely for this show, you can also use it to just get a single individual source. For example, if I wanted to take my phone and use that as a second camera, I could do this through OBS Ninja. There's some audio latency considerations there and things like that, but let's put that to the side. I could do that where I could pull up my phone and simply click a button that doesn't create a video call, but instead creates an individual link for my phone's camera that then I could put into XSplit or OBS. As well, I could do the same idea with a screen share. If I wanted to go and just share a screen, I don't have to create a video call like we're doing for this show. We could go and create an individual link for that screen share. Now, the other thing that we want to mention is that quality for us has been good, but this is specifically because it is designed to allow people to set custom parameters for the call or for the video feed being pulled, such as the video, video bit rate or the audio bit rate being used. That's something that I do here. Specifically, I specify that I want 1.5 megabits per second of audio from SP. That's beyond what it's pulling, I'm sure, but that's just to make sure I'm maxing out with the potential. As well, I pull a certain amount of megabits per second, five for this show here, of SP's video. And this is making sure that we're not having the service scale up and down depending on what's going on. It's continuously trying to pull this specific amount of video and audio from SP. But there is some considerations that you should have. For example, I, when I set this, needed to make sure that I wasn't maxing out SP's internet connection because we've talked about it. He's talked about it. He has a certain limited upload with his internet connection. And if I was to go and set more of a of a download on my end, so basically try to pull more for him than he can upload, it would be a disaster. Or if I was to set it so high that his computer couldn't keep up, that could also be a problem if it's totally taxing his CPU. Now, the interface itself is pretty good, but it is a pet project. And we should mention that it's probably not what you've seen with other sort of commercial grade or products that are looking to be commercial grade. It's a little bit more raw. And as we said, this is geared towards the more technically enabled. So some of these things are not actually in the GUI, in the interface. You have to add them individually. That bit rate that I mentioned being an example. I have to go in and modify the individual URL, the individual video feed that I'm being given. I have to add that parameter on there, referencing the documentation that's available. There isn't just a box that I go in and say, take 1.5 megabits per second of SPI. No, I have to go in and get technical with that. And it's very clear on that. The other thing that we want to mention as well is that there is the possibility to add a password to the group. This is a new feature, but a good example, again, of sort of needing to be a little more technical is that if you don't send the exact URL that specifies that there is a password that's required for this, then what happens is the participant joins and they feel like they're in the call, but they're not because they haven't actually been given the prompt to enter the password. I can get more technical if you want to ask a little bit more, but it's just an example on how it is a pet project and there are some things 
that are more technical, technically leaning as such. But there is some flexibility as well that we've noticed. Like when you go and connect through the video or the visual interface where you specify your camera and your sound card, if you've got multiple devices, it's super clear on which one you want to select. You see a list of all of your cameras, all of your audio sources right there, all on the page where if you have multiple sound cards, it's very easy to see which one it is. You don't have to really go hunting like some of the things that we've seen on other services where you got to click box one to get to box two. And there you go. That's where you find it. No, it's right there before you connect to the call. We also want to note that there is a way to record each participant's individual video feed into, but we've not tried this yet. But even if you're not doing a video show, there could potentially be an application for you to use this service. You could use it as your connection method to connect with people who are podcasting with you. The audio quality is pretty darn good. And if you specify the right parameters, as Stephen just mentioned, while it is indistinguishable to a trained ear, it's possible to get really good audio from this connection capability. The only thing of note, though, is that you would likely need a video source for the connection. This could be something like a covered webcam or a virtual camera like Manicam that we've used before that shows nothing at all. Overall, we're pretty happy with OBS Ninja. It's been perfect for our setup, and we'd recommend people check it out who may be running a setup like ours or are a little bit more technically apt and are looking for a decent way to connect with their participants. However, we'd also recommend you keep abreast of other offerings as this is a personal project of Steve and you never know if it'll go away like all beta projects tend to do. For example, Steven is keeping hardware around that he no longer uses in case we ever have to move back to a Skype setup. And if you find that this OBS Ninja works for you, there is a GitHub page available where you can sponsor the project. We'd encourage you to do so if you can afford one of the tiers and enjoy the project if you're using it. And disclaimer, there's no guarantee that this will keep the project around, but in our opinion, it's always great to support developers when you use their project as part of your regular routine, especially independent ones. And as Stephen mentioned before, we'll have a video up soon on betterpodcasting.com that provides an overview of OBS Ninja so that you can see how it's set up and hopefully gives you an idea of some of the technical aspects we're talking about. One last thing. The other thing that I have mentioned before that I don't know will happen is if enough people tax the system, is that going to affect performance? Since this is a peer-to-peer -peer connection, we don't think so, but you never know what kind of headroom this is working through the servers. Steve's talked about how he could add servers to the capability in a surge, but you just never know. So this is not a paid thing and you have to go with what you have from it. If you have any questions about this, feel free to reach out to us. Come to our Discord server if you'd like over at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. We get a little more technical there, but so far it's looking good for us. And yeah, as SP said, betterpodcasting.com will have a full video that just gives you an overview of the walkthrough so you can kind of see what we're talking about and hopefully connect some of those dots. This is where we here at Better Podcasting turn the show over to you as we run through some of your feedback. We call this segment Better Podback. 
We're going to start with a review that we received on Apple Podcasts, or I call it iTunes because that's literally where I saw this. And it was a five-star review entitled, Great Tips, Great Rapport. The review is as follows, quote, the hosts really love what they do and organize their topics well. It's refreshing to have a podcast about podcasting that isn't trying to look at the angle to monetize. I'm working my way through all of the episodes and hope to launch my own podcast in a few months. With these two guys in my corner, I'm beginning to think it might come true. Thanks, Stephen and SP, for a great show. And this is from Betsy Bach-Massey in the United States. Thank you, Betsy. We really appreciate that. And when you do launch your podcast, you email us at podcast at betterpodcasting.com and you tell us what the name of your show is and we will talk about it here on this show. For a $9.95 fee. No, I was just, no. Making, just making a joke because the monetized thing. Oh my gosh, thing. don't scare just making a joke. Off. This is a joke. Oh my just gosh. a joke. All right. Well, over in our Discord server, we had this guy, this new guy came in. Uh, his name's Stargate Pioneer. And he dropped the link. He's coming in spamming right away. And it was a link to a humble bundle. No, SP did drop the link to a humble bundle. And one that comes out pretty much annually. It's one put out by the Magic's creative team. Uh, it's come by a variety of different names. And it's usually largely Magic software. This one is Your Sounds, Your Movies professional video and audio creation humble bundle. And this had a bunch of Magic's products in it. But there was an observation from Damien. So much smaller than normal, I believe. And this is the case, actually. Uh, I've bought this bundle a few years in a row because there's usually been something in there that I've been interested in and thought, okay, it's a good price. Goes to a good cause and... And if you want to look at the Humble Bundle, go ahead and look it up. You can see how that all works. But yeah, it definitely seemed to have less things in this year. Um, so if you are, though, looking for Magic's Movie Studio, that's the program that SP and I both use for video editing. And we've used for audio editing on occasion before as well. Um, I know that I edited a whole episodes, uh, episode of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. for SP once using it. Uh, you can check it out. It is pretty versatile. And it's last year's version, which is the one that SP and I are currently using. So if you want a link to that, come to our Discord server at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. I actually won't be putting it in our show notes over on betterpodcasting.com because I don't want to be part of the problem that links to Humble Bundles well after their expiry. So if you want to check that out, come to our Discord at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. My older daughter wants to start a YouTube channel doing book reviews. She loves all the YouTube channels that she sees out there. And she's come to me for help. And she said, what program should I edit with? I'm like, well, you can choose whatever you want. But if you want me to help teach you, you're going to have to get Magic's Movie Studio. And she said, OK. And I said, even uh, maybe you could use the version 15 that I still have the keys for. But I said, this is a great opportunity for you to buy it, for you to own it. So she went ahead and did it. So she actually purchased this humble bundle. We'll move on here. And Damien actually asked in our Discord, completely stumped on how to use the L12 as an interface. I downloaded the drivers. I figured out how to get to see all the input channels. And it seems that no matter what I select, I cannot get signal into my DAW, even though I see the line, which is the Zoom L12 audio selection for input. He posted again, when I look into it, it looks like VB 
can only, which is voice meter banana, can only pull two in from a physical source. Looks like it might be able to do eight via ASIO drivers, but I have never configured that. I also haven't looked into if slash how I can get OBS to pull more than two channels yet either. I might end up just getting one of those left right to 3.5 millimeter cables and run the left right master to the PC. Now, Stephen, you have some extensive experience with this. Totally. This is one of the things I've cited many times when I've critiqued the L12 and continue to do so, uh, especially because they solved it with the L8. And I can't believe they haven't done a firmware somehow to to fix it for the L12. And when the L12 operates, the way it works is that there are 14 different channels available and the reason it's 14, no, I'm trying to think through. The reason it's 14 different channels available is because at the very end of it, channels one through 12 are, are your hardware inputs, like your mic inputs and thing, your USB inputs, things like that. And then 13 and 14 on the L12 are the stereo mix, basically the full two-channel mix down that you're hearing on your sound mixer aspect of the L12. So those are at the end. Those are channels 13 and 14. And the way the L12 works, at least with the Windows driver, is that the stereo version, when you do end up uh, pulling it in through USB, is channels 1 and 2. So what happens is if you're sending a digital over, it's sending you channels 1 and 2 over USB as the input, which is useless because usually if you want just a single stereo mix, you want the mixer output. And that's actually how they, they fix this on the L8. And you can actually pull in the stereo mix down very easily by uh, using the USB function. And I've tried and I've used it for this show and other shows as well. So that is the workaround that I personally did with the L12 was I went from the analog output on the L12 into a UMC 202 HD for that that overall mix down because the final edits that I do use the actual captured sound that's on the SD card. But for like a live stream or like a reference track, I want that whole mix down. And so that's the way I ended up having to do it was go from the outputs into a separate input device. I don't know why it's like this. I, I fear that there's no way to fix it if on the board itself, I suspect there's got to be a way to fix it in the driver because you can make this work if you use those OSIO, those ASIO drivers where you get the, if you set it into the full multi-track 14 channel mode, you can do it with some third-party software where you're specifically grabbing those 13 and 14. And I've done that before, but it's not easy. And you have to use another piece of software, which then brings in other issues like latency and possible issues drawing your system and crackling and, and dropouts and a whole bunch of other things. So it's odd to me, and I unless they fix it, will forever to be critical of that because I think it's a huge misstep on their part. This is the one reason I, we talked about it a few months ago that I don't see a option out there for me to upgrade yet. This is one of the reasons why the L12 is not an option for me to upgrade because I want that easy pull of the stereo yeah. mix into USB. Don't blame and me. I don't, I don't, I don't want to fool around with it. So that's one of the reasons why I am not enthused with the current generation of everything. I mean, there's some phenomenal 
gear out there, phenomenal hardware to mix and record stuff, but I just don't see anything that could replace my current setup. Okay, moving on to the next comment. This was by Amanda. She goes by A.L. Morrill on Discord. She said, since we were talking about listening speed the other day, I just caught myself listening to better podcasting at 0.8 speed for a moment. I switched from listening on my phone to listening on my laptop, and I forgot that Spotify on my laptop was still set at 0.8 speed from when I was transcribing some music earlier. For a second, I thought SP just got really tired suddenly. Now, a few things. One, I'm ARP age, so yeah, I could get tired and need a nap at any point in time in the day. Number two, if somebody just happens to come along and put rum or scotch maybe in my coffee, or maybe not even that, if I mistakenly brew decaf versus half-calf, then yeah, you're going to get eight speed, 0.8 speed SP. All I would say is make sure that you increase the speed on your podcatcher if it sounds off. Sorry. You, you even changed the pitch. That was perfect. How, how did. long did you practice that? That was I, awesome. I took a week vacation just to practice that. <laughs> uh, continuing some of the discussion we actually had about speed uh, in Discord, uh, we, actually, we had a CT say, I just added better podcasting to Overcast. You guys are perfectly understandable at smart speed around 2.25 times. And we did go a little bit back and forth about that. And we had Zachary Webb also say, I listen with podcast addicts, addict skip silence on for most shows and speed varies between shows from 1.2 times to 1.7 times. I also change the speed by how many episodes I have on my playlist to catch up on. One of the fun conversations that we had in there was about what the general impact is to the listener takeaway by changing these things. Like SP mentioned that he couldn't uh, comprehend as much by increasing the speed. For me, the truncate silence thing was one of the, the things that I was a no-go. I will sometimes listen to podcasts occasionally up to two times speed. And part of this is due to, I, I trained my brain a long time ago through a previous job that I used to do to listen to people talk faster. But the truncate silence or the remove silence feature, I've tried it on a few different apps. and I can't do it. I can't do it because I feel like it changes the feel of the conversation. I can't, I can tell on two times speed whether somebody is leaving a silence in there. And that might give me hints, like, for example, if someone's asked a question and there's a big gap, I know that they're thinking about the answer. So now I have to know, are they thinking about it or are they BSing it, right? So it's a cue there. Or sometimes it could be a pregnant pause, things like that. So I personally do not like the silence feature removed unless you're listening to like a really unedited podcast that is full of silences because the, the people just aren't really good with their words or they like kind of talk a little bit like Sh Shatner or something like that. So I, I can see that in that case, but for a show that do have people that are pretty fluid overall and do a good job of editing, I, I can't stand over truncated silence. I usually listen to podcasts on my phone at 1.25 or 1.5 speed. And I, I can do that. The 2.25 is a little bit 
fast for me for YouTube videos. For the most part, unless somebody's a really fast talker, I'm usually about the 1.5, maybe 1.75 if I'm in a rush to watch stuff. But honestly, if I'm watching a YouTube video, I'm actually watching for the entertainment and the content. So I don't like spinning through it unless I'm doing a instructional video on something like staining or, or something like that. I, I just don't need to sit there and listen to the, the whole thing at 1.0 speed. So yeah, I do speed things up and it does drive me insane at work when I have to listen, because this is the only way I can listen to podcasts at work. And when I have to listen on my old iPod classic, which has no capability to speed up and no capability to skip. There's not a skip button. <laughs> now I can use the wheel to go ahead, but depending on how long the podcast episode is, like if it's an hour and a half long podcast episode, the wheel will go forward like 10 minutes. <laughs> like, no, I just wanted to skip forward 15 seconds. Ah, so yeah, that's my two bugs about still listening to the iPod classic at work. It bugs me, but at least I can listen to podcasts. Well, SP, that's going to take us to the end of the show. Before we wrap up, let's remind everybody we're part of the Gunna Geek Network. If you want to check out other awesome geeky content, check that out at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. And if you want to chat with us in between the recording of this show, you can come to our Discord at BetterPodcasting.com slash Discord or check out our Better Podcasting live chat show. We'd love to have you subscribe to that. It's pretty raw. It's unedited. So when you do hear us make all sorts of mistakes and have weird banging noises and things like that, yet all it is is we're taking a live stream and posting it in a form that people can listen to the audio version. So we're it's our avenue to do all the things that we say you shouldn't do. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> If you want to get in touch with us, podcast at betterpodcasting.com. That's the best way. Send us a video, send us audio. We'll play it on the show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you here in two weeks. And we'll see you on the Better Podcasting live chat in one week. For episode 232 of Better Podcasting, I'm Stephen John Drew saying yes. That was silence, but some of you didn't get that. I'm SB saying, have a great week podcasting. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageeknetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew of Gunna Geek Productions. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching, and we hope to see you again next week.